0: Whoa!
1: Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. You know, the name of our program, Light of the East, takes on greater significance because this week has been what we call the Bright Week. And we are radiant—the radiant resurrection we have been celebrating, especially this week after Easter. It's an incredible week. Not only are we basking in the light of the resurrection, but also liturgically, things ease up a bit in the Eastern churches in the liturgical calendar because we've been so intense in our prayer and our liturgy—the long, magnificent services during Lent, the week of the bridegroom, and Easter Sunday itself, the Pascha—and then on Monday and Tuesday, they're called Bright Monday, Bright Tuesday we have a celebration that is, again, carrying the theme of the resurrection, but in a little lighter way. I think that the great liturgists of the Eastern churches have taken mercy upon us as they realize how engaged, how absolutely encompassing and enthralling the services have been up until this point. So, we carry that light, that radiance, but we back off ourselves a little bit, and we take a little bit of mercy on ourselves. And I think that that is an appropriate word because this is Mercy Sunday. And I say that in a bi level way. It is Divine Mercy Sunday for our friends in the Western lung of the church, thanks to St. John Paul II, since his time, but proclaimed this Sunday after Easter as Divine Mercy Sunday, of course, based upon the spirituality and the vision of St. Faustina. But I apply that word mercy Sunday to the Eastern churches as well, especially those who are on the Gregorian calendar, where today is the Sunday after Pascha. It is also known in many Eastern calendars as the Sunday of St. Thomas or Thomas Sunday. And I apply mercy to the Eastern churches as well, even though divine mercy per se is not a feast for us today. Nonetheless, it's interesting and perhaps providential in our day. You know how God works, how the Holy Spirit works. Perhaps providential that this theme of mercy is found and woven through the whole church today east and west. In the west, obviously, it's Divine Mercy Sunday, that's pretty clear. But also in the eastern churches, the theme of mercy comes through because of the events that happen in the upper room between Christ and the apostles, and in particular, St. Thomas. Now, to understand this, we're going to go back a little bit. We're going to go back a week ago to the evening of the first day of the resurrection, the resurrection day itself. And this is from John's Gospel, chapter 20, starting on verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Now, let's just stop for a moment because we're setting up the drama here. We're setting up the foundation behind this word mercy that applies for us today to the whole church, East and West. Both lungs are breathing with mercy today. In the East, as I mentioned, it's the Sunday of St. Thomas. You notice Christ comes into the room, although the door was locked. Now that's a very salient detail. St. John was the gospel of detail. He oftentimes is seen as rather theological and mystical, that's true. But it's interesting, he's theological and mystical, but at the same time, he's very detailed. He always brings in these details are very, very salient. And this detail about the door being locked is going to appear again one week later, which would be today. And the reason why it's salient is because it's giving us an indication of the kind of body that Jesus had, his appearance. And the reason why that is significant is because it's going to point to our ultimate appearance, our ultimate destiny, and how we will appear. In other words, Jesus came through the door, though it was locked, and they eventually recognized him, so he had to have had some semblance of his original body, yet it was different because it could pass through the door. And so it was a spiritualized body, and that's very significant because Christ, in resurrecting from the dead, anticipates our own resurrection. So we get a hint of what will be for us through the resurrection of Christ. Whatever happened to Christ is in store for us. It's how it originally was meant to be before sin and how it will be in our ultimate destiny. But because of Christ's death and resurrection, and eventually his ascension with his human nature and his divine nature together, taken to heaven, we are taken to new heights even higher than our original innocence. So let's keep those details in mind. Now, when he comes in the room, he says, "Peace be with you." A peace, it's a word that is relative to mercy or reconciliation. Peace just doesn't mean "well, I'm calm, I'm peaceful now, things are quiet." It has more to do with things being intact. I'll use even the term virginal again. In other words, everything is at one again. Everything is integrated. Everything's together. Everything is in sync, as it was meant to be. Peace is a very, very full, comprehensive, and deep term when used in the Scripture. And then he says to them, what's the first thing he does? He breathes on them, once again, breathing. Where do we hear that? Way back in the beginning of Genesis, where God breathes life into Adam. This is the new Adam now. This is a new recreation of all of creation. All of creation is renewed now through Christ's resurrection, especially the human race. Reconceived in the mystical nuptial wedding on the cross between the new Adam Christ and the new Eve, his mother, the bridegroom Christ with his bride, as he says to her, woman, behold your son. So there's a reconceiving mystically. Now we have the breathing of life into this new creation, the new humanity. And what's the first thing he says after he breathes on them? Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, and whose sins you retain are retained. So immediately he makes his first message, his first gesture to them, one of complete reconciliation. In other words, it's all okay now. We're friends again. We're all right. This rift, this rupture between you and me because of sin, which started way back in the Garden of Eden, this rupture between you and the universe, between you and each other, between you within your own selves, all of that is now broken. It's now being healed. You're being made new again. And so the first thing Jesus speaks of is forgiveness, is this mercy, this reconciliation. And he gives that authority, that power, as it were, to the church. It's an amazing thing. That, of course, is where we get the sacrament of confession, which is one of the great gems and jewels of the church. Now we're going to fast forward one week, that is to today, Divine Mercy Sunday in the West and Thomas Sunday in the East. Let's read now again from Scripture, chapter 20, starting with verse 24. This is John's Gospel. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now, you notice, once again, that detail, the door is locked, and Christ's first word, once again, is is peace, that very powerful, rich word, peace. In other words, everything's okay, we're reconciled, we're together again, we're at one with each other again, there's no enmity between us, there's no chasm between us. Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Now, I'm going to go to liturgical texts for today in the Eastern churches. And it makes a comment about Thomas putting his hand into Christ's side. The liturgical texts say this. This is Thomas speaking. For he said, I will not believe until I see the Lord, until I see the side from which the blood and water of our baptism came forth, until I see the wound by which he healed all people from the great wound. And I see that he is not a pure spirit, but a person made of flesh and bones." Isn't it interesting, that little play on the word, wound, until I see the wound by which he healed all people from the great wound. Isn't it interesting, where was Eve created? Eve, who ushers in the whole order of life and love, Eve, the woman, the last one to be created, because that was the high point of all of the created order, is the order of life and love ushered into reality through the woman, through Eve. Where did she come from? God opened the side of Adam. Now, here he is, the new Adam. What did he do? He allowed his own side to be open, and from that came the fluids of life, blood and water. And it is from the opening of his side, that wound that healed the great wound. In other words, the wound of original sin. And it's interesting how in liturgical text, it puts those words onto the lips of Thomas. When we return, we're going to talk more about the wound from the side of christ and thomas's relationship to that wound on this sunday of mercy of divine mercy i'm father thomas loyal on light of the east
0: light of the east's mission is christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the catholic church we need your support in order to keep light of the east on the air you can make a donation now by writing a check to light of the east and mail it to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Willcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. With your help, we can keep light of the East's
1: illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I'm Father Thomas Loya of the Tabor Life Institute. I'm inviting you to an opportunity to be pierced by the sheer beauty of God's plan for your life, to make the connection between God, sex, and the meaning of life. As
0: Father Loya invites you to hear renowned speaker and author Christopher West, Saturday, April 25th at St. Mary Immaculate Parish in Plainfield, Illinois. Original sin for all of us, for every human being on the planet, has disoriented our desires. We often find ourselves hungry for things that don't satisfy the ache, don't satisfy the need. Join Christopher Saturday, April 25th from 6.30 till 9.30 p.m. at St. Mary Immaculate Parish, 15629 South Route 59, Plainfield, Illinois. Limited seating. Register online to coreseminar.evenbright.com. Core spelled C O R, bright spelled B
1: R I T E. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host, and again and again I say to you, Christ is risen, and you say back to me, Indeed He is risen. That's right. Indeed He is risen. Very good. You've been listening to this program. (laughs) Or you've attended a Byzantine liturgy, no doubt about it. When we say Christ is risen, you respond back. Indeed he is risen. I'm going to refer to a few more texts from the liturgy today in the Byzantine Church regarding St. Thomas, which is a Sunday of mercy, not officially called divine mercy in the East, but nonetheless. A Sunday of mercy. And I find this to be very providential that both lungs of the church would be focusing on a theme of mercy. In the West, of course, it's officially Divine Mercy Sunday. But in the East, there is a theme of mercy that runs through this whole day. In fact, that's the whole drama, that's the whole point of this encounter with Christ and Thomas in the upper room. Christ takes great compassion, he has mercy on Thomas's doubt. Yes, Thomas doubted. Remember, Christ took to task the apostles for doubting his resurrection earlier. Remember, on the road to Emmaus, he took them to task. Why didn't you believe the women? But Thomas, he does not take to task. He uses Thomas's unbelief to bring him and us to belief by those ultimate words, the words that the whole of Scripture leads up to, my Lord and my God. Now, here's another Selection from liturgical text of the Byzantine Church on this Sunday, it says, O marvelous wonder! The lack of faith gave birth to a certainty of faith. For Thomas said, unless I see, I will not believe. And then it says this, O marvelous wonder! John leaned on the bosom of the Word, and Thomas was made worthy to touch his side. The first discovered the depth of theology, and the other was privileged to announce the plan of salvation. For he clearly revealed the mystery of his resurrection, saying, My Lord and my God, glory to you. Now, isn't it interesting that this allegorical touch that the liturgy brings to that event, where it contrasts John and Thomas, both of them had contact with Christ's side. Only John leaned on the side of Christ, and he, as according to the liturgy here, discovered the depth of theology. In other words, like he could hear into Christ's soul, Christ's heart. He could hear the truth. And the other, Thomas, was privileged to announce the plan of salvation. In other words, he touched the wounds as able to make a proclamation. So it's interesting how the two contacts by the two different apostles to Christ's side produce something in a complementary way according to the allegorical approach of the liturgy in the Byzantine church. Very, very interesting. Very, very brilliant. Also, it says this, that when Thomas touches the side of Christ, he says that that I will touch his side and I will see that he is not a pure spirit, but a person made of flesh and bones. Another very, very important point, having to do with our own origins and eschatology, meaning our own destiny. Thomas says that he would see that he is not a pure spirit, but a person, a person. A person is someone who is made of spirit and flesh, of body and soul, made of flesh and bones, and is also spirit. That is a person. A person is defined by God, by our likeness to God. That is why in the church, whenever we talk about and address the moral issues, unlike the rest of the world, we don't like to label people. We don't like to diagnose and put them into little boxes, such as homosexual and transgender and those kinds of things. Yes, those are used clinically and so on in everyday speech for various reasons. However, in the church... We prefer, although we have to sometimes use those kinds of words, we prefer to use the word person. See, that's our starting point. Our starting point is never a diagnosis, a disease, a disorder, a condition, a race, a whatever. It's always that we are persons, which automatically starts everything off right at the beginning on the level of a creature, a being worthy of love and respect, of love and responsibility, as St. John Paul II would call it. And so that word is very important, a person made of flesh and spirit, and also that he is not just pure spirit. God was invisible, yes, he was pure spirit, but he took on our flesh, and that makes all the difference in the world. He incarnated himself so as to save us, so as to exalt us, to raise us, our nature, to the very throne of heaven. So what Thomas is saying here, and again, it's the liturgy putting these words on his lips. These these words are not explicitly in Scripture, but we can derive from Scripture and put on Thomas's lips in a very ingenious way these liturgical words, because those words are meant for us. Thomas has these words put on his lips through the liturgy of the church so that we would learn something from this. Remember, the liturgy is very, in its own way, it's very pedagogical. It's very didactic. It's not meant to be just a classroom, but automatically by default it is because it's forever articulating our theology through the prayer and the worship of the church it's just absolutely brilliant you know sometimes i wonder how anyone can stay away from church how can you not see the brilliance the ingeniousness the the antiquity the the venerableness the dignity the depth of the church's prayer of her words, her liturgy, how she articulates things, not to mention the art, the iconography and the theology and the morality and so on and so forth. How can anyone not be excited about church and immerse themselves in this great mystery, especially this time of year? Now this word mercy is a very powerful word and it must be understood correctly. Mercy is something that can certainly be in our day and age and it seems to be what the holy spirit is trying to do in our day and age because we keep hearing it from the last several popes, this emphasis on mercy. Now, mercy does not mean something superficial. It does not mean just easy street, or everything's forgiven, everything's okay, it doesn't really matter, God is just like a little pussycat, or just something, some kind of creature that doesn't really matter. Anything can go, God is all forgiving, God will understand, God will forgive. Well, yeah, some of those words are correct, but how we use them How we understand them and apply them and believe in them is what matters. So let's look at mercy for a moment. I'm going to cite the liturgy of the Byzantine church again, and look how often we use the word mercy and how we use it. One of the beginning prayers that we use before all of our services says this, Lord, have mercy on us, for on you we place our hope. Be not exceedingly angry with us, nor mindful of our transgressions, but look upon us even now with mercy and deliver us from our enemies. For you are our God, and we are your people. We are all the work of your hands, and we call upon your name. Another prayer, have mercy on us, O God. Have mercy on us, since we have no defense. We sinners offer the supplication to you, our Master. Have mercy on us. And then we often end our prayers, such as one of the prayers that the priest says in liturgy, for you are a loving and merciful God, and we render glory to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. And here, in another place, we say this in the litany, Have mercy on us, O God, according to your great mercy. We pray you, hear and have mercy. And, of course, the response is, Lord, have mercy, but repeated three times. And we often sprinkle throughout the liturgy these litanies. Some of them are very full, complete litanies. Some of them are very short. In fact, there is a litany which is just three litanies long, which tends to be a connecting link between different parts of the liturgy. And again, the response is always, Lord, have mercy. During certain feast days, such as the exaltation of the cross, we actually bow to the ground saying, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, very, very fast and repetitiously as we bow to the ground and then slowly come back up to an erect position saying over and over again, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. So why are we doing this? Why so much have mercy? Well, this word mercy is very related to the word peace in its meaning. It really means not just, well, you know, don't come down on me, don't punish me because I'm so sinful and I need this punishment. Don't be mad at me. It really is implying the restoration of a relationship, an original relationship of that peace, as we said before, remember, has a deep meaning to it, is that peace between God and in us, in terms of a relationship, a certain intimacy, a certain unique relationship that we alone had as human creatures but was injured and ruptured from original sin. Our begging of mercy is not just because we don't want God to punish us and because we're so bad, it's really a crying out to God over and over again of this yearning to be reconciled with Him again. And we cry out over and over again because we need it. You know, the more we are aware of God, the more we are aware of our sinfulness, of our lowliness, of our contrast to him. Yes, we remain the image and likeness of God. That is the only truth about the human person. But unfortunately, the untruth has entered into our reality, the untruth of sin. And in contrast to the holiness, the transcendence, the otherness of God, we are nothing. We are low. We are like slime in that regard. Now, not really. We're made in the image and likeness of God, but our behavior, we sin constantly in, in various ways. We're very, very imperfect in relation to God. So we constantly beg for this mercy. In the Eastern churches, we have this custom of sometimes saying a word, oh, or phrase over and over again very, very rapidly, almost as though you can hardly even say it. And the reason is, is because we are so sincere. And we want so badly to communicate that sentiment that is within us, that desire for reconciliation, that in a sense, we're tripping over ourselves. You know, sometimes when you run so fast and your legs kind of almost feel like they're going to fall out from on you, you're almost going too fast to even keep your balance. Well, at least some of us remember that when we were younger, we used to run that fast. It almost seemed like your your, your feet were already touching the ground. It would almost fall over because you're moving so fast. Well, we're falling over ourselves because the desire within our heart and our soul to be reconciled with God once again is so deep and we're so anxious for it. We yearn for it so badly that we can't even keep up with it with our words. It's as if our soul and our heart moves faster than our lips. And so we try faster and faster. It's as if we're groping for words and for time to be able to say what is in our heart adequate enough. And so we almost trip over the words and they come spilling out of our lips. And sometimes they're almost impossible to say we're saying them so fast. And that's why we do it. It's not just to get the prayer over with or we're being callous or insensitive or not mindful of prayer. It's actually the opposite. We're so mindful of what we need in our sinfulness that we grope for these words and we try for yet another word. We try it again and again and again in a sense, it's like being breathless with repentance. You know how sometimes you try to express something and you're speaking very, very fast, especially if you've seen something very remarkable, either something very traumatic or tragic or something very wonderful, whatever. When it's something very, very wonderful that seems to be bigger than we are, we have a tendency to, 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 to speak very fast and to try to find the words because we're, we're so excited. This sentiment inside of us outpaces our ability to even speak well that's a similar kind of thing in the worship of the byzantine church so we say over and over again lord have mercy lord have mercy lord have mercy but again it's about yearning for this reconciliation to restore once again this ruptured relationship but we are assured of this mercy only because of the miracle of the resurrection of christ And we, too, then, call out, as Thomas did, to our Lord, my Lord, and my God. Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.